0: Welcome, listeners, and thanks for stopping by. In this episode, we'll be talking to Ken Jordan, the Texas State Director of MUFON, that's the Mutual UFO Network. Ken will share info on MUFON, some interesting Texas UFO cases, and tell you what to look for in the night sky. Oh, and if you're interested, how to volunteer for MUFON in any state or country. But first, a little about MUFON. MUFON was established in 1969, and it is an all-volunteer, nonprofit corporation and the world's oldest and largest civilian UFO investigation and research organization. It has chapters in every U.S. state and 43 countries. It also has a corporate office with full-time staff serving the public, the MUFON UFO Journal, which is, by the way, free to MUFON members, an annual international UFO symposium to educate the public, a membership of over 4,000, a computerized UFO case management system with over 100,000 UFO cases, and a structured field investigator training program with more than 600 active field investigators. It also has a nationwide rapid response force for high-value investigations known as the STAR Team as well as a trained underwater dive team. MUFON has its own television show on the History Channel called Hangar One, as well as its own subscription channel, MUFON TV, which may be included with one's membership. MUFON is leading the charge to solve the UFO mystery once and for all, and you can join them if you want. Now, let's hear more on MUFON from our guest, Texas State Director of MUFON, Ken Jordan. Hello, listeners. In this episode... We sit down and have a conversation with Ken Jordan, the Texas State Director for MUFON. That's the Mutual UFO Network. Ken, welcome to the program.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the time.
0: And let's start with this. What is, for our listeners, what is MUFON and how is it involved with the reporting and investigation of UFOs?
1: Well, I I think most people know, but if you don't MUFON, is the Mutual UFO Network. It is now over 50 years old. Uh, It was launched officially back in 1969, uh, but it didn't start out as MUFON. It actually started out back in the, I guess, the mid 60s. It was then the predecessor to MUFON was an outfit called the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, APRO. And there was a group of people with APRO, including one of our original founders, a guy named Walt Andrus. In fact, Walt eventually moved moved MUFON down to the San Antonio area uh, when Motorola, the company he worked for, sent him to the plant there in Seguin, Texas. He retired here, passed away here not too long ago. But anyway, there was a a group of pretty smart individuals with APRO that, broke out in 1967 and formed what was called then the, uh, it was a tri-state UFO organization. I think it was called the UFO Study Group. and But I do know it was Missouri, Iowa, and Illinois got together and collaborated with uh, the UFO Study Group. It was not until 1969 when Walt Andrus and some of the other APRO folks actually talked with some people from uh, Wisconsin, Missouri, and Kansas, and decided to form a what was then called the Midwest UFO Network. It was still MUFON, but it wasn't really named MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, until uh, sometime later that year, when it took off, MUFON took off like crazy, and people were coming in from all over the country, and so they got Wisconsin, Michigan, I know Minnesota was involved, and so they decided to expand nationally, and they changed the name to the Mutual UFO Network, keeping the original acronym, but just expanding it to include the entire uh, United States. And now it's worldwide, so it's all over the all over the world. We have uh, we have representation in like forty three different countries, so it it is quite big. It's the oldest, continually operating. UFO investigative organization in the world. So we think we're pretty good at what we do. It's all volunteer. We have a few people that are, that are paid uh, to keep things going, the TV station and, and the uh, computer system and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, we're all volunteers.
0: Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your personal history with MUFON and the, the current role you have as Texas State Director?
1: Well, mine is not really uncommon in, in MUFON. I was actually approached by MUFON. I was still on active duty at the time, and it was in 2013. I was actually transitioning off of active duty. I was getting ready to become a civilian after almost 39 years in uniform. I got an email from somebody with an outfit called MUFON. So I had to look it up, I didn't know what MUFON was. But I became interested because while I was still on active duty, one of the jobs I had was to work with an organization within DOD that was going to stand up and reorganize the army of the future. So in the process of prosecuting those responsibilities, I became involved with people from Martin Marietta's Skunk Works and Area 51 and all that kind of bizarre stuff. And some of the stuff I found out while I was doing that, to me, was so bizarre, it couldn't be real, so when MUFON invited me to come with them, I kind of jumped on the opportunity, they, they asked me to come to one of their meetings, uh, was here in San Antonio, I went there, there was about less than 20 people in the room, and uh, they, we, we have a tradition in our MUFON meetings to uh, introduce new people to the, to the group, ask them what their interest is, and they came around to me lastly, and I told them I was in the army getting ready to come out and they invited me, blah, blah, blah. But I really came just to find out if MUFON was a bunch of serious investigators or a bunch of kooks. <laughs> so that's how I got introduced to MUFON. <laughs> <laughs> that was and in 2013. So anyway, I, I came on board as a field investigator. I was a field investigator for about two years. And uh, I was moved up to a state section director and in Texas, we're so big, we had to break it up into five different regions. So uh, we have five state section directors that oversee and mentor field investigators within their region. Right now, we've got 34 investigators in Texas. So oh. uh, we can and we can always use more
0: because... I bet. You. It's a big state. Yeah.
1: So anyway, I uh, I functioned as the chief of investigations for a couple of years, and uh, when our... Uh, then state director decided to take a break Uh, they asked me to take state director's job and that was i guess it was four years ago now well it's been fun it's been interesting
0: what is the current state of ufo sightings in the world ken are we are we seeing an increase at all in levels of activity
1: actually i would have to say no and the reason why um there's still a lot of activity out there don't get me wrong there's plenty to look at and investigate but i think I think the C-19 issue had a lot to do with why we're not seeing as many, we're not getting as many new sighting reports. When I say new, uh, some of our sighting reports are coming in are historical as people out in the world wake up and realize that, you know, we may not be alone by, by ourselves and they see something that they can never tell anybody about and then they're finding out that there's organizations like MUFON, uh, they're coming, let's they say they're coming out of the woodwork to report what they saw years ago. we still got a fair amount of current sightings, but uh, I think with the, as, as C-19, you know, starts to go away and people start getting out and start looking up in the sky more, I, I think the, uh, the sighting reports will actually increase.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I, I really hadn't thought about that, but COVID seems to affect everything.
1: Yes, you have. But I can tell you, Texas is usually pretty busy with sightings. It's because we're so big, like California. Right now, California and Florida are getting the bulk of uh, the sighting reports coming in to move on to our CMS. CMS is the computerized management system that we keep track of all these things. And we do uh, collect the information from these sighting reports store them in historical databases for other researchers in the world to uh, tap into and use. But for example, last month, uh, we had 338 sightings reported in the United States. Right behind us was France with 24, and then the United Kingdom with 19, and Canada with nine. And then from there, it just goes down to one, 17 worldwide.
0: That's quite a difference uh, between the U.S. and the other countries. What do you what do you believe accounts for that? Is it just people being more uh, aware in the United States, uh, more, more focused at looking for things, or what do you think?
1: I, I think that, well, here's the countries that were reported sightings, Mexico, Austria, of course, is, is, a, is a leading company. Then we got Morocco, Brazil, Kenya, Georgia, Belgium, Costa Rica. This is just my personal opinion, but I think it has a lot to do with the economic conditions in those countries. Some people, they work 15 hours a day just to put some food on the table. They don't have time to be outside looking up in the sky for, for things that don't aren't supposed to be there. Whereas in the United States and in a lot of Europe, uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, where we're a little more affluent, I think we have a little more leisure time and we can actually go out and look up. And if you don't
0: look up, you're not going to see anything. Right. Let me pivot for just a minute to the U.S. government. And I know in the past, of course, there's been some at different times uh, over the decades acrimony between uh, UFO groups and the U.S. government and and what the perception is on what they know, don't know. Recently, we've had document releases and we seem to have had a little more candor in admitting, for example, the the Navy UFO sightings and that they they truly didn't know what they were. What's the current, I guess we could say, state of trust or cooperation, if there is any, between the U.S. government and UFO groups? Has anything really changed there?
1: Oh, yeah, big time, especially in the last four or five years. Everyone's familiar with Project Blue Book back in the 60s. Well, we uh, got a real bad taste in our mouth as citizens because of Project Blue Book and they manipulated, lied, twisted everything to make sure that they presented the government narrative on the UFO topic. And so we didn't get, people were reporting things that are obviously not of this world looking, and they would be debunked as swamp gas or weather balloons or something like that. So there was a bad taste in the the mouth of most uh, civilians with the government on the topic of UFOs. And you combine that with pure fact that back in 1952, they decided we were too dumb to know the truth. So there was gonna be no bars hold to make sure that the general public did not know what the truth is about the UFO situation, starting with the Roswell's incident back in 1947. And what most people don't know, besides Roswell, there was two other craft that were given to us that year there in New Mexico. So a lot of people don't even know that. But over the years, things got better as, and especially with the advent of the internet back in the late eighties, where information started flowing more freely. People could research and people with inquiring minds could go on the World Wide Web and find answers to their questions even though some of those sources were pretty unscrupulous, at least they could get out and research it. But now, especially with the advent of the uh, Secretary of Defense allowing the Chief of Naval Operations to open up what they're seeing now on the east and west coast in, uh back in 2017, with the uh, release of the TikTok footage from the gun cameras, things have really turned around. So now we actually have DOD disclosure that, yeah, there's something out there. We don't know what it is. We're not saying it's uh, extraterrestrial. We're just saying we don't know what it is and we don't know what effect it's gonna have on national security. But at least they're admitting there's something out there. But it goes back, it goes back to the days when Harry Reid was running the, the house. He showed a real big interest in the UFO topic and actually started the ATIP program. He funded uh, the, the ATIP program that uh, is now apparently been renamed and, and been remissioned. But we have really come a long way with the government. In fact, two weeks ago, the CEO of MUFON, and as far as I know, it was only MUFON was in there. We actually met with representatives from both sides of the aisle on the UFO topic and how it's going to be handled. And it looks like uh, Congress and DOD is not going to try and reinvent the wheel when you have organizations like like MUFON and Norfolk uh, and other some reputable uh, organizations that are already doing the investigations. So there may be a, we may develop a working relationship with, the federal government, and we can do it without compromising our MUFON principles, uh, which we hold very sacred. So we're apolitical, and we're going to keep it that way. We're not. That's going to take, exciting. We're not going to take federal money, so they're not going to buy us. But we are interested in disclosure and getting out the information that we know to be true to the general public not so we can meet mr et but so we can get the technology released to the civilian populations for research and development so we can start using some of it like fossil fuels fossil fuels should be a fossil we <laughs> haven't needed fossil fuels for the last 30 years but we're still using it so you, that for
0: that. yeah you had mentioned earlier that uh California, Florida, Texas uh, have a lot of sightings. I'm interested, though, is there a particular hotspot right now that you know of in the United States? Is there a location that really has been just of late having a lot of activity?
1: Um, Well, in each of those three states, they seem to, to, and this is no surprise, they seem to center around the the larger populated areas, the big cities. And that's only because they have lot more people looking up mm-hmm. uh, but i can tell you the better higher quality sightings come from outside the big cities where the uh the light from the cities does not mask the sky so we we get really excited when we get a uh, a sighting report from somebody out in out in the sticks that got some pretty good video with their with their camera because it's usually pretty higher quality
0: now turning to uh, your home turf and my home turf, what are some of the, you've been out here in Texas doing this for a while. What are some of the more interesting cases here in Texas? Some of the ones that really sort of lit you up a little bit and, and you said, wow, that's, that's really compelling.
1: Well, we had, a, when I was a field investigator, when I first got started, I, I got a phone call from a gentleman down near Pleasanton, Texas who I was pumping gas, saw this thing on the other side of the field across the highway from where he was getting gas. And he took video of it. And uh, it turned out to be a a full-fledged real UFO, what we call a scout craft, a donut-shaped thing. We don't know what he was looking for, but he sure was skirting the, the fence lines looking for something. And so we had a number of those for for a while, but the biggest thing going on right now is we are seeing a lot of anti-gravitic type objects being spotted and reported all across the country. And these things are anywhere from 40 feet long to about four feet in diameter and everything in between. We don't know what they are, who they belong to, what they're doing but we are seeing them in quantity right now. In fact, in Texas, we have a special project going called "Tick Tacs Over Texas Project. And I'm getting ready to release some of my preliminary work on it to my field investigators who can take and try and debunk my work and see if they can prove that they are not what I think they are. Uh, so I can release it to MUFON so the science review board can take a look at it. So if it proves out what we think we're seeing, uh, it's, going to, it's going to go ballistic, it's gonna go viral. But we're, we're seeing these things um, all across the state. And I'm also getting some supporting sightings from other states like in Colorado and Florida and uh, Kansas of these same type things that they're seeing. When they first came out, we thought uh, they were the tic tacs that the Navy was seeing forty footers. In fact, my first case, I thought I, w- I, I thought it was forty feet long, but found out I had a decimal in the wrong place. It was only four feet long. <laughs> <laughs> so we do make those kind of mistakes, but uh, but it is extremely interesting because there is absolutely no control surfaces on these things. There's no navigational lights. There's no evidence of any type of propulsion device. But yet when you record them with a camera, whether it be still or video, they all are surrounded by this halo, which you can interpret to be a force field of some type Mm. that fluctuates with the speed of the object.
0: I have to tell you, I'm I'm a little bit surprised. I think I was under the impression, and maybe a lot of people are, that we got the Tic Tac videos from the Navy. And so those are phenomena that only occur over water or generally out in the ocean or something of that nature. So I'm really interested to hear that uh, these are much more prevalent.
1: Well, that's exactly what we thought, too. And when we started seeing these over the the mainland in the center part of the country, it really blew our minds. Uh, In fact, one of our Tic Tac projects for Texas was a a still photo taken by a lady at thirty four thousand feet out of an American Airlines jet that was identical to a tic tac that was captured by a flare over the middle of the North Atlantic, identical, mm-hmm. and uh, so and that was over the Panhandle of Texas on a flight from Denver to uh, Dallas.
0: Wow. Let me ask you when people are looking for ufos i i've gone out and i've looked at some of the statistics that show what your chances are in various places around the country obviously that's impacted by the population of the state even though california has a lot of sightings uh, the fact that there's so many people in california means that actually your odds of seeing something are probably less than in other places if you look at a state l- uh, like wyoming which has the the smallest population of any state in the U.S., it's still calculated at about 220 to one of actually spotting something. So it's not uh, an easy thing to come up with. The, the odds are maybe stacked a little against you. But what can people do to increase their odds of actually spotting a UFO? Other than looking up, are there things they can do that that would maybe increase those odds for
1: them? Yeah, there is. And when I first got started, there's some of the stuff I'm going to tell you about right now, I thought was just bologna. (laughs) I mean, it was so far-fetched on the the fringe, there's no way that something like that could actually work or be real. But to regress a little bit, you talk about the odds uh, against population. I don't know what the population of Montana is, but if I remember right, it's about the same. The entire state's about as large as the city of Austin, population-wise. And last month, Montana reported two sightings. So you're right; the uh, the likelihood of seeing them is, is fairly small. But there are things that you can do to help improve your chances. The one thing that I have come to believe is one: there are extraterrestrials out there. We are not by ourselves, and these other species and races have been interacting with us for maybe thousands of years. And uh, but. The main way that they communicate is telepathically. They communicate telepathically with our abductees. And we have people that are experts in things called channeling, which is strictly telepathic. But uh, besides looking up, there's guys like Dr. Stephen Greer. He is probably the best in, in the world at this. He developed some protocols called CE5 close encounter of the fifth dimension or something like that but anyway he has established some protocols on how a person can get into the right mental state and as a group join their consciousness and actually project out and call these these guys in i didn't believe it until two weeks ago when i saw it and experienced it myself it was probably among the most bizarre things has ever happened to me when I got to see and experience my first UFO. And that was just north of San Antonio in a little community called uh, Spring Grants. We were doing a skywatch out there. This was a skywatch with selective people that our chapter coordinator invited. Uh, These people were all professed to be experiencers, uh, have been abducted, had a lifelong experience of uh, contact uh, with extraterrestrials. So they they had the mental where for all to concentrate on these things. And we saw maybe three UFOs that night. I can only attest to one. Uh, and that's the one that I saw. So there is a chance that you can see more by bringing these people together. You can study those protocols. That's that's professed by Stephen Greer and uh, Stephen Five Bunch. So that's one way to to bring them in a little bit closer to you.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned that because I have come across in research for the podcast for some of the episodes I've done, I've come across some of these uh, cases where people are mentally meditating on communication, on trying to make contact and they are reporting, of course, now that's it's them you know, saying that this is, is what has happened, but they're reporting that they actually, as they come out of med- meditation, will see objects in the sky.
1: Yes. And like I say, I, I was not a big believer of it, even though I have, uh, I have witnessed this vicariously through my, my witnesses, my experiencers, uh, that it works. Uh, I saw it work personally, two weeks ago. So it does work.
0: Interesting. So one of the things I appreciate about MUFON, Ken, is the veracity in which they do investigations. It's, it's not a rubber stamp. It's not, oh, you said you, you saw a UFO. I guess you saw a UFO. The, the level of care in the investigations really is impressive. If somebody believes they're witnessing a UFO, and maybe they are, Maybe they're seeing Venus or, or, it's, or it's an aircraft or something. But if they believe they're witnessing a UFO, what should they do? How do they handle that in the moment and afterwards?
1: Well, first of all, let's talk about in the moment because that's the most critical time. It's When you see something like that and you know it's not right, it doesn't belong there, you're, you, the natural response is to lose control of yourself. But if you see something that looks odd in the sky, don't lose your cool, keep your head, watch it. And by all means, if you have a camera of some type on your phone or a regular camera, get it out and start taking pictures. And most, the best thing to do if you see something anomalous or unexplained is take a video of it. And when you're taking the video, Try and take it at normal focus, at normal length. You can do a little bit of uh, zooming in and zooming out, but uh, you don't need to do that. We, we have programs. We can take, we can zoom in and zoom out without you yeah, doing it yourself. We can enhance it. Try and keep the camera still and get as still of an image as you can. And then share that with, with one of these research agencies like MUFONT have the capability to do the uh, analysis on it for you. But the biggest thing to remember is just stay calm and observe as much as you can and then try to get a picture of it if you can. That's the biggest thing I can, I can recommend. And then beyond that, the next thing is the easy part. It's real simple. Just go online and log into MUFON.com and click on the tab that says report a UFO and just fill out that questionnaire, it'll go into MUFON and it'll end up out in, uh, with the field investigator in their area who will get in touch with them and start the uh, the protocols that we go through regardless of who it is to uh, give that case its due diligence and try and get that witness as much a, an accurate decision on what it is that they may assume.
0: And- Are there any tips you can give people on how to better discern what is and is not a UFO?
1: Yeah, the first one I I would say is if you see, if if it's daylight and the sun's out and it's nice and bright, the sky is clear and you see something up high in the sky that's shiny, it may or may not be something. It's probably an airplane. Just watch it for a while. And if you can take a video of it, you can send it in to us and we can. We can tell you if it was or was not an airplane. Plus there's other things that we can do to check it. The other thing that, that we get a lot of at night are these gum Chinese lanterns. They become very popular all across the country over the last three years. And when you, if you've never seen a Chinese lantern in flight, it looks like a UFO. We get a lot of those. It will skip along with the wind, and all of a sudden, it'll just go out It'll just burn out. Uh, Anyway, the Chinese lanterns is the biggest problem. We also have what's coming up new these days. People are taking these large, gigantic latex balloons, these three-footers, four-footers. Now they're filling them with helium, sticking an LED light generator inside of it and launching it. And that light generator makes all kinds of different light arrays. That looks like a UFO, too, so... And, and also photo anomalies. People take pictures and after the fact, they see things in the photos that uh, look like a UFO. If there is a bright light source anywhere in the, in the photo, it's probably a photo anomaly. All
0: right. Thank you for that, Ken. Last question. The world is a big, big place to cover. So I know you guys have chapters in all 50 states and 43 countries, which is really impressive. And it seems like MUFON has a lot of work to do. Can people volunteer for MUFON? And if so, what is that process? And do they need any special qualifications?
1: Good. That's a great question. And the answer is, it's easy to volunteer with MUFON. If you want to get into the investigative field, simply go to MUFON.com. Under the join tab, you can click on become a field investigator, and it'll explain exactly what you want to have to do to become that field investigator. But the biggest thing that we're we're looking for is volunteers to help with our local chapters. We we we'd like people to join MUFON, you know, be a card carrying paying member of MUFON. That money helps keep MUFON going. But what we need is volunteers to help with the local chapters that are established or we're looking for people who have an interest in the field that would like a startup, a meetup group in their town, especially the smaller cities around the country that don't have chapters that they can go to. If they want to volunteer, join join MUFON and, and they can start a local meetup group. But if you want to work with MUFON as a field investigator and everybody has to be a field investigator, the biggest thing that we look for is 90% of it, they have to have that burning desire to seek out the truth, that fire in their belly to know if what that person saw was a star or a planet or a Mylar balloon or a UFO and give that person the due diligence and the time to do a proper investigation a give them a good answer. We are really like people from military, law enforcement. Um, Most of the professional uh, fields, uh, make good uh, investigators, but really, just about anybody who has that desire to seek out what is true could probably be a good investigator for me. on. and we'll train them in in everything they need to know. Uh, we have extensive training, and it it may take a year for you to be to progress past the level of training, but that's how intense the training is.
0: Awesome, Ken Jordan. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you making the time. It's been a great set of information that you've passed on to the listeners, and uh, I hope we can get you back sometime to to talk about maybe some uh, some future cases that you're you're working on and and uh, get into some of the particulars about MUFON.
1: Yeah, we we've got some good cases that would make uh, I could we can just do it audio like your broadcast is, and people could still really enjoy the experiments, well, I'd be glad to do it.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Ken.
1: Thank you, Richard. Appreciate it.
0: While dozens of UFO investigative organizations have come and gone over the decades, including some that are quite famous like NICAP and C-SETI, it's MUFON who leads the UFO investigative effort today. Their vast and comprehensive case volumes and well-trained network of over 600 field investigators have put them in a unique position to carry on the extensive efforts required for UFO research and investigation. They are quite simply on the cutting edge of contemporary UFO education, research and investigative efforts in the world today. Those efforts are allowing UFO research to move forward in positive directions. It's fair to say that the analysis and documentation of UFO case studies would be severely and negatively impacted without MUFON's presence in this field. Even today, they continue to grow and influence the study of UFOs. Our thanks again to Ken Jordan for joining us on the podcast. So, what's in store next week? Well, yours truly will be on vacation, but I'm not going to leave you hanging. In a shortened next episode, we look into the strange case of a real headless horseman. The story of El Muerto, literally the dead one in Spanish, and in this case, the description is accurate. Based on a real event in Texas, the headless horseman, El Muerto, rode the South Texas countryside in a macabre ride that would become legendary. Join us as we find out how this headless horror came to be and the aftermath of his gruesome ride. Next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Yes, it is time for the quiz. So, your question for this week is The Marfa Ghost Lights are located in what state? Is it A, Texas, B, New Mexico, C, California, or D, Florida? Once again, the Marfa Ghost Lights are located in what state? Is it Texas, New Mexico? California, or Florida? And the answer is... A. Texas. The Marfa Lights, also known as the Marfa Ghost Lights, have been observed near U.S. Route 67 on Mitchell Flat east of Marfa, Texas, in the United States. They have gained prominence as onlookers have attributed them to paranormal phenomena, such as ghosts, UFOs, or will-o'-the-wisp. Scientific research suggests that most are atmospheric reflections of automobile headlights and campfires. However, such logic fails to explain many of the ghost light sightings. The first historical record of the Marfa lights was in 1883, when a young cowhand, Robert Reed Ellison, saw a flickering light while he was driving cattle through Pisano Pass and wondered if it was the campfire of Apache Indians. Other settlers told him they often saw the lights, but when they investigated, they found no ashes or other evidence of any campfire. According to author and Big Bend, Texas resident Judith Brusky, the Marfa Lights of West Texas have been called many names over the years, such as Ghost Lights, Weird Lights, Mystery Lights, or Chinati Lights. The favorite place from which to view the lights is a widened shoulder on Highway 90, about nine miles east of Marfa, Bruski said. The lights are often reported as distant spots of brightness, distinguishable from ranch lights and automobile headlights on Highway 67. That's between Marfa and Presidio to the south, primarily by their abnormal movements. Well, there are many theories on what these lights actually are, But you'll have to wait for a future episode when we delve a little deeper into the Marfa Lights on the Paranormal Factor podcast. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks. And thanks for stopping by.